0: Hello friends, Tom here from wherever you are tuning in. I want to welcome you. Uh, It's been a wild year thus far. 2020 is certainly a year for the books. Uh, I would say it's by far the craziest year of my life. Um, And I would venture to guess that many of you would agree. Uh, If you uh, are new with us, uh, welcome. If you've been journeying with us, you know that, like I said, it's been a crazy year. But earlier this year, before COVID-19 kind of Smashed into the planet in a very kind of seemingly violent and uh, intense way. We as a church were actually in the middle of a really wonderful series going through the Gospel of John. Uh, it's this incredible, uh, like, eyewitness account of Jesus' best friend, the Apostle John, writing about the life and ministry of Jesus. And eight months ago, before coronavirus, Uh, We were 43 weeks into that series, and then when coronavirus hit, we pressed pause Uh, for a plethora of reasons, trying to kind of get our feet underneath us as a church and kind of get acclimated to what seemingly has become a new normal, as uncomfortable as it is not being able to be together in person on Sunday mornings and moving everything digitally and all this stuff. So I say all that to say that today we're going to jump back into our series, going through the Gospel of John entitled Jesus Is, okay, the the series Jesus Is, we've been exploring what, um, or I should say we've been exploring as much as we possibly can about the life of Jesus through the eyes, through the pen really, of his closest friend, uh, the Apostle John. And the, the reason why we're jumping back into this series is because uh, I'm convinced that like this is the perfect spot to jump back in. The passage where we pick back up on it is the perfect spot to jump back in, as far as timing wise, with this cultural moment. Okay, uh, you don't need me to bring you up to speed on what's happening right now. The world is in turmoil, and whether it's a a global pandemic or racial unrest or civil unrest or uh, or or the election, and all these crazy things happening. Uh, where we find ourselves in this moment as a culture, man, I cannot think of a more appropriate message or more appropriate passage of scripture than right where we left off this last March, eight months ago, when we pressed pause on our Jesus series. We're picking back up. Um, That being said, I think it's appropriate since it's been eight months to give you a bit of a refresher on the series. And like I mentioned, uh, we want to learn as much as we possibly can about Jesus. Okay, Jesus is the focal point of the Bible, um, and frankly, he's the focal point of all of creation, the entire universe. universe, Okay, It's all about Jesus. And so we want to learn as much as we can about who he is, about what he's done, about all the amazing things that Jesus is, hence the name of the series, right? Now, A.W. Tozer, a theologian that I really enjoy, he famously once said that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That is a very strong statement and as strong as that statement is, I'd actually take it a little bit further. Excuse me. I'd take it further and I'd take it further in this regard. I would say that what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. I'm going to say that again. What you believe about God is the most important thing about you. Now, biblical belief, you've heard me say this before, biblical belief is more than acknowledging that something's true okay? It's more than acknowledging that something is true. True belief, true biblical belief, it always influences not just what you know, but what you do. You see, what you believe, it influences your behavior. Consider uh, consider the Titanic, you know, the famous ship that, you know, sunk to the bottom of the ocean that was seemingly unsinkable, right? I've used this analogy before but I think it's helpful. Did you know that the Titanic when they built it, it, it could it hold up to 64 lifeboats on the ship, on the vessel, right? And the evening that the Titanic struck an iceberg and, um, and it ended up sinking to the bottom of the ocean, it only had 20 lifeboats on the ship. And the operators of the Titanic, when they set out for that voyage, they knew that 20 lifeboats was only enough for about half of the passengers on board. Yet they set sail anyway. And sure enough, they hit an iceberg, and the ship sinks, and half of the passengers make their way onto those 20 lifeboats, and the other half perished into the ocean. Okay, why on earth for a ship that could carry 64, which is plenty for all the passengers, that could carry 64 lifeboats. Why on earth would anybody only choose 20 of those? Well, the operators of the Titanic, they liked the way that 20 lifeboats looked. It was better aesthetically. It was was better for um, unobstructed views from the deck and such. And the reason why they only chose to put 20 on and set out to sea was because the Titanic... They believed it was an unsinkable ship. They believed it was an unsinkable ship, and they were wrong. You see, friends, what you believe, it always influences your behavior, the things that you do, not just what you know, but what you do. And therefore, your behavior reveals what you actually believe, friends. Beliefs are like the software that your life runs on. If you're familiar with like hardware versus software, right? Like think like your cell phone or your computer or your iPad or your tablet. Those are that's hardware. Okay, that's like a machine essentially. It's hardware. A computer, a hardware. My iPhone is a, is a is a piece of hardware, and the software. Using let's use the example of an iPhone. The software is called iOS, right? So it's Apple's um, software that runs on the phone. Or if you're if you've been around for a while like me, you remember like the days of like Windows. 98 and, you know, the upgrading the operating system, the software of a computer. Hardware is the computer. Software is like Windows or, or on your iPhone, the iOS, right? <clears throat> See, like, if you use the analogy of the phone, what the phone actually executes is determined by the software. What the computer actually executes is determined by the software. What you and I believe is the software for our life, Okay. And John, the apostle, who penned this gospel account that we're jumping back into, he says that his reason, at the end of this gospel, he says the reason that he wrote it is so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. The Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the promised one. You see, John wrote this and he, because he knows what you believe influences your behavior. It's like the software for your life. And not only that, but your behavior, my behavior, it reveals what we actually believe. They're interconnected. Okay, John knows if a person truly believes that Jesus is the Christ, that it changes not just what they know, but everything they do. So let's jump into the scriptures, shall we? If you have a a Bible nearby, go ahead and grab that. We're going to be in John chapter 14 today. Uh, Before I jump into the scriptures, I'm going to pray, so I'd love for you to join me from wherever you're tuning in. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just invite you now. Thank you that you transcend time and space, that even though we are doing this kind of virtually and digitally, um, you are what bring us together, and you have the power to minister to us wherever we are, whenever we are. So I thank you for that reality. And I just pray for your blessing right now. I ask you to use me to love and serve anybody tuning into this. God, would you be with us? Would you help us? Would you teach us? Holy Spirit, point us to Jesus. That's our aim. That's our desire. We want to learn more about everything that Jesus is. Help us. Amen. Okay, so John chapter 14. uh, We're going to do verses 15 through 26. So I'm going to read through this entire thing. And then I'm going to point out a few things. Okay, so John chapter 14, starting in verse 15. Here we go. All of this is the words of Jesus, practically all of it. Here we go. Jesus says this verse 15 If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 17 He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live too. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father. You are in me, and I am in you. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and reveal myself to him. Judas, not a scariot, so not the Judas that betrays Jesus, a different Judas, said to Jesus, Lord, how is it you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Verse 23, Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Okay. So, there are four things from this passage that I want to jump into today, okay, that I want to discuss. The first one is this. To love God is to obey Him. Okay. Jesus says this three times in this short passage. All right. Now, typically... Typically, if something is repeated in the scriptures, that means it's important. Okay, so track with me. Look back at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And then verse 21. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Verse 23. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Now, that word in the Greek that's translated keep, you know, what that means is it means ongoing obedience, okay, or continuing to obey. Um, one of the people who played a, frankly, played a huge role in leading me to Jesus is no longer a Christian. And I know that might sound weird or crazy or wild, but it's true. And I can remember, um, I can remember the change. I can remember, um, frankly, how painful it was to watch. How painful it was to see someone that I loved and someone who had such a, a profound influence on me. Like his love for God seemed to, seemed to kind of dwindle. It was almost like you, you fill the bucket with water and you puncture it, and the water just kind of, you know, seeps out. It's kind of what it was like that in in the, in, the, in the life of a of a of a, of a close friend. Watching his love for God seeming to dwindle. And I began to see kind of patterns of disobedience in his life. And now, listen, we all disobey, okay? Every person's guilty of sin. Uh, there is no perfect ones other than Jesus, right? So we're all guilty of sin, right? But what I'm talking about here, this idea of like this pattern of disobedience, is I'm talking about unrepentant sin. So, patterns of ongoing unrepentant sin. Yeah. And like it no longer bothered him that he was disobeying the God who loved him, who, who gave himself for him, who, who willingly put on flesh and went to the cross to, to secure his eternal freedom from sin, Satan, and death, to be punished in his place. The God who loved him dearly. It, it, like it seemed like it, it no longer seemed to bother him that he was disobeying that God. Getting drunk became kind of like no big deal, you know? Disrespecting other people, no big deal. And eventually, it turned into a complete rejection of God's ways altogether. Now, like I said, everyone has sin, man. Even and especially Christians, okay? What differentiates a Christian from a non-Christian is not perfection, it's not the absence of sin, it's ongoing repentance. That's what marks the life of a Christian, not perfection, ongoing repentance. Not the absence of sin, ongoing repentance, okay? Repentance is identifying sin, acknowledging it, turning away from it, which means stopping it, and, and back to God, That's what it means to repent. That is the daily, hourly, I would argue, maybe even every minute, practice of the Christian. That's what differentiates a Christian from a non-Christian. Repentance in an ongoing manner. Jesus is the only perfect one, friends. So listen to me. When people fall away from God, like I described the guy who helped lead me to Christ when people fall away from God, when they discontinue obeying him, that's what's happening. And according to Jesus, this happens because of a lack of love for God. Look back at verse 24. Jesus says, the one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. That word keep again in the grief. They will not continue to obey me. Friends, Jesus is really, really clear, and he's repetitive in this passage. If you love me, you will continue to obey my commands. Friends, that's what a Christian is. That's what a child of God is. Someone who receives the grace and love of God and then loves God in response, how? By continuing to obey him and repenting when they realize that they're not. This is why in 2 Timothy uh, chapter four, verse seven, at the end of Paul's life, he writes, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. In other words, Paul didn't fall away. He didn't discontinue his love for God by obeying him. Hopefully you're tracking with this. To love God is to obey him. So the question is never, does God love you? That's never the question. Friends, the cross has made that emphatically clear that he does, okay? John three sixteen, right? God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son. The cross is just the emphatic declaration that God loves you. That's never the question. The question is never does God love you, but rather do you love him? And the answer to that question, friends, is not based on how you feel, it's not based on how you think, it's determined only by whether or not you are obeying him. Now, the next thing I want to chat with you about is this, that Jesus is one with the Father and the Spirit. Look back at verse 20 says this, On that day you will know that I am in my Father. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I, On that day you will know that I am in my Father. You are in me and I am in you. And then again, verse 23, Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Verse 26 But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father... So let me me start this again. Verse 26. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, Jesus, will teach you all things. Do you see the picture here that Jesus is painting? He's painting a picture of unity. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. Three persons united as one God. It's the Trinity, right? It's one of the basic... Tenets of Christianity. One God made up of three persons. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Spirit. And we see Jesus being united here with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And this this triune God then uniting with a person. Like, I want you to picture this. The eternal God, the creator of all things. Three persons, one God, united community, totally united, and just closest intimacy you could have, then unite that beautiful God, uniting with a person. But this uniting with a person, hear me say this, is conditional. How do we know? Look back at Jesus' words, verse 23 yet again. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, He will keep my word, my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. If is a big word, okay? So listen, what's at stake here is not God's love. What's at stake, the the condition here, what's at stake is being united with God. Notice that it does not say God will love you if you obey him. That is not what it says. Okay, that's religion. That's that's not the way of Jesus. That's the opposite of Christianity. Okay, Jesus' love, hear me say this, Jesus' love is unchanging. It's unwavering. Okay, there's nothing that you or I could do ever to make him love you more, and there's nothing that you and I could do to make him love you less. Our love for him, on the other hand, that's the variable here. Again, friends, a Christian is someone who who receives God's love and then loves God in return by obeying. And the result of this mutual love is unity between God and man, both now and forever. So do you get the picture here? You cannot have unity without mutual love, One-way love is not unity. Jesus is describing unity between God and man. Friends, do you know what that means? That means for the Christian, for the recipient of God's love, who then responds with love back, it means God is always with you. God is always with you. It means you're never alone and you'll never be alone, not now and not forever. Listen, I know, I know some of you feel lonely. Man, this has been such an isolating season for so many of us with, with quarantining and with, with different opinions uh, from, f- frankly, like every single topic. Now is one of the most divided and frankly isolating times. Isolation leads to loneliness. I know some of you feel lonely, but I want you to see Jesus' incredible invitation here to be united with God in mutual love right now, even in this moment. Not just in this moment, but tomorrow and the next day and the next day and forever. It's this beautiful invitation to be united in mutual love. Friends, The reality here is that God is always with you. And one more thing, one more thing I want you to see here. This passage in the original Greek, right? It was written originally in Greek. In the original Greek, the word that's translated for you, Y-O-U, okay? That word translated you, it shows up 17 times. It's a lot, okay? 17 times, listen to me. Every single time, it's in its plural form. It's plural from form that means plural means more than one okay so my friends in the south uh, they would describe it best by saying y'all short for you all it's the plural form of you okay 17 times you shows up in this passage every single time it's plural every single time it's y'all friends God is always with you and listen to me. God is always with y'all <laughs> Not only is this this an invitation um, to unity with God, not only is it intensely personal, but it's communal. it's, It's mutual love on a grand scale. So listen, I want you to see there are incredible outcomes to loving God, to obeying him. And there are heartbreaking and eternal consequences when we don't. All right, finally, I will, I will close with this. Hear me say this. God has declared his love for you, man, with both his words and his actions. Okay, and the cross being the pinnacle of this, right? The, the, the greatest act of love in the history of the world, Okay the next closest thing is a million miles away it's not even close okay and he invites you and I he invites us to a life of unity with him and with other people mutual love now and mutual love forever unity and if i can if i can think of one word to describe the state of my country america right now your country if you're listening to this and you live in the states There's one word I can think to describe America right now. It certainly isn't unity. It's divided. It's divided. So listen, I cannot think of a more appropriate cultural moment than right now for Jesus' glorious message of unity through mutual love. I cannot think of a better time. Listen to me. There is no other hope for true unity on a worldwide scale than Jesus Christ. No political party, no ideology, nothing. Nothing can accomplish worldwide unity other than Jesus Christ and his love. The mutual love. 1 John 4, verse 19 says, we love, why? Because he first loved us. Friends, it starts with receiving him and his love. Listen, some of you, you need to get right with God. Things have been off, maybe for a long time. And now really is the time for you to get right with God, to receive his grace and love. Others of you, you need to be reminded, listen, God is always with you, you're not alone. And the things that you're facing, no matter the circumstances, no matter what you're facing, no matter the outcome of an election, Friends, the love of God transcends it all. It's supreme. And his invitation to unity is available, even to the worst sinner. Maybe you've done the worst thing that you've ever done in the last six months. Do you know what? The grace of God is still available. And it's the grace of God that can transform the human heart. So, I want to invite you to respond to the love of God in a fresh way by loving Him in return, by obeying Him. Maybe even as you've been tuning into this, the Spirit's highlighting something to you—an area where you have an opportunity to repent, right—to turn away from sin and back to Him, to enjoy Him and obey Him. It's what you're created. For. It's like what you're created for. It's your purpose. So. In just a moment, I'm going to turn kind of things over to the band. They're going to serve us. They're going to give us an opportunity to respond to the love of God by praising him because he's worthy of it. But before I do, I want to pray for us. Will you pray with me and then I'll hand it over and you can praise. Jesus, I just want to say thank you. I just want to say thank you for... <clears throat> the ways that you consistent, consistently make yourself available to us. Man, this idea of you desiring unity with mankind despite mankind's sin is scandalous. And even to make it personal, you, you desiring unity with me despite my sin is scandalous. But your love is the most powerful thing in the universe. It's glorious. It's amazing. And what's wild is that you make this the most amazing thing ever available to us. So I just wanna say thank you for a moment. And Spirit, I wanna ask you, would you help us? Would you help us to not live lives that are so centered on ourselves that we miss out on the opportunities for mutual love, for unity, with people, and and honestly, as important or more, with you. It's what we were created for. It's the way things are supposed to operate. That's your kingdom. Where love rules and reigns. So would you teach us? Would you show us? And would you help us to be people who live lives marked by grace, who consistently receive it from you, that love, that grace, that forgiveness, that would then empower us, to live differently. Would you let us be people who believe what you say is true about yourself and what you say about your invitation to unity with you and others is? Help us to believe what's true and let it influence how we live. I love you, Jesus, you're so worthy of praise. Thank you. Amen. Friends, I love you. Um, wherever you're tuning in, I encourage you take a moment and just praise him because he's worthy.